when you help a person accomplish that goal that they set out to accomplish, be it the W, be it to lose five or 10 pounds, to be able to run a mile in under seven minutes, being able to bench press more than their body weight. When something comes to fruition like that, it's the best feeling in the world. You're like, man, I really helped somebody push through and accomplish a goal today. From Haymakers for Hope, this is not every fight ends at the bell. Haymakers for Hope exists to knock out cancer the only way we know how. Fighting for a cure through charity boxing. Thanks to generous supporters and more than 1,200 ass-kicking do-gooders, Haymakers has raised over $25 million for cancer research, care, awareness, and survivorship. But the March Towards a Cure continues long after the last bell of each event. I'm Julie Kelly. I'm Todd Buster Paris. We know firsthand because we are not just your hosts, we are also survivors. On this podcast, we will highlight the stories of fighters, survivors, organizations, and supporters. Not every fight ends at the bell. Round one. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Really excited about having you. You're our first coach that we've had on the podcast. So you haven't fought, but you've trained fighters for the Haymakers events, which is really, really cool. How did you get into boxing? That's a funny story. My grandfather was a boxer. He's a professional boxer in the Dominican Republic. And he had 11 kids. Nine of them were boys. And all of my eight uncles, they all boxed and stuff. When we were growing up, we all wanted to be like my father and my uncles. And we all boxed. You know, like a family get-togethers, they would like throw the gloves on us and we would just like go at it. Like wait, wait, little... they're throwing gloves on you. How old were you? Five, six. Oh, that's yeah, like, like I mean, I mean we, did, we did that forever. We did that forever. Okay. But then the thing, how I really got into boxing was at the age of 12, right? I was like already six feet tall and I was like severely overweight. Oh, wow. And my dad was like, you're going to get sick, man. You're going to get sick. Like, and every time I go to the doctor, they were like, you're borderline diabetic. Like you got to start doing something to get into shape. And my dad was like, dude, you got to get your life together. You got to get your life together. Yeah, Mike, and looking at you right now, what do you weigh now? Cause you look very thin. I weigh right now about 220. You look 225. You 225? Yeah, but that's oh, wow. nowhere. That, that's nowhere near my fighting weight. Like I used to fight at 192 pounds. Wow. But How tall are you? I'm six. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm six feet. But what happened was, I think the straw that broke the camel's back, I was 315 pounds. Whoa. And then my dad, he was he was very vulgar about it. You know, like he grabbed me by the belly and he's like, dude, mm. you can't even see your dick. Okay? And, yeah. And, and I was like, no, I can't. And then he's like, you're going <laughs> to die, die a virgin. And then that's what motivated me. And then I was like, you know what? I got to get to the gym. And... I went to a karate school and okay. they told me that I was too fat for karate. Too fat for karate. Yeah, they told me I was too fat for karate. And then it was like, you should go to a boxing gym. <laughs> and I went to the boxing gym and they welcomed me with open arms. And it was like, we need a heavyweight. And within six to seven months, I went from 315 pounds to 180 pounds. Wow. Like, and I've never been on a diet or anything. I just started running every day and fighting every day. And like, I became like a gym rat. I was in the gym every day after school from 3 p.m., 4 p.m. to like 10 p.m. They literally have to kick me out. Where did this happen? Was this in New York? 
In New York City, yeah, Washington Heights. Yeah, I was born and raised in Harlem and and grew up in Washington Heights. Very, very cool. So that's got to be quite the experience, being a young kid and training at the boxing gyms in New York and being a New Yorker. Yeah, no, it was. It was. And, um, man, I feel so old just saying that because, like, now I feel like boxing isn't as popular as it was in the 90s and stuff. And, and I'm sure the people in the 90s will probably say, well, boxing wasn't as popular as it was in the 80s or the 70s or whatever. Sure. But I feel like in the 90s, I, I just felt like you can walk into the gym and just, like, start fighting right away. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it was popular. Like, everybody wanted to be, like, Oscar De La Hoya and, and Felix Trinidad and, and Bernard Hopkins and stuff. Like, I, I don't know how it is now with the younger generation, but that's how it was when I was growing up, like I was looking up to Oscar De La Hoya, Trinidad, uh, you know, Mike Tyson, Roy Jones. Those were some fun times for me growing up. Yeah. It's funny. The younger kids today, like the kids that come into some of the gyms that I work out, and I hate to say this, but they say, I'm going to be Jake Paul and you be, it's Jake Paul. That's right now. That's right, 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 right. That's, that's so interesting. It's, it's strange, but it's, it makes sense. That is um, quite a transformation, Mike. So when did you start in boxing, like in New York City? I know you fought in the gloves. So what age did you start to compete? I think I started training in 95, 95 or 96, right? But I had my first fight in 98. I had my first fight, I think it was like senior year or maybe I had been out of high school for a couple months already in 1998 and then... The first time I went to the Golden Gloves, I think I had like two or three fights before my first fight in the Golden Gloves. And I was in I was in the novice division and I ended up winning the bronze medal. And then the second time I went to the Golden Gloves, I ended up getting and I, I got the fight at the theater at Madison Square Garden and I won the silver medal. I ended up winning the silver medal two times in a row. I think so. I think that was like ninety nine and two thousand. I also know that you were in the Marines, right? Right. So is that, was that before or after you started competing? That was during my competition. During. I joined the Marines in between the first time I went to the Golden Gloves and the second time I went to the Golden Gloves. Because I, I originally joined the Reserves. Yeah, I originally joined the Reserves. So like I, I would uh, you know, just go to my training on the weekends and stuff in the summertime and stuff. So I still had time to train and, and, and do my own regular uh life activities you know been a big big part of your life obviously a huge part a huge part of your your family members at five and six and then being in the marines competing in the gloves like how did you go from that to mike is a coach trainer at gotham boxing in new york city and i can't even you are just one of those coaches that i can't put my finger on like when you started working with us because i feel like you've just always been there (laughs) so right right just you've just i mean mike coaches tons and tons of the New York City participants and boxers. How did you end up getting into coaching? How did you end up at Gotham? The way that I got into coaching was by accident because like I never wanted to be a coach. But what happened was when I had that transformation from 310 pounds to 180 pounds, 195 pounds, all the kids in my neighborhood were like, dude, how did you do this? Can you help me? You know? And I was like, yeah, sure. I can help you. You know? And then like, I just tell them like, you know, I'd go running with my clients. I'd break out the mitts and like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just like, uh, 
okay, if you punch me for th- three minutes, if you punch the back for three minutes, if you jump rope for three minutes, like stuff like that. It's crazy because I was thinking about that the other day. Like, I was like, wow, I used to charge $25 an hour. <laughs> I remember those days. Oh my God. But that's how I got into coaching. And then a lot of the kids that I would train with, they'd be like, Mike, would you be my coach? And I ended up getting my passport book at the same time that I was doing the Golden Glove competitions and stuff. Like, Sonia would look at me, you know, Sonia, like, like, yeah. wait, are you a fighter? Are you a coach? I was like, yeah, I'm both. <laughs> How long have you been at Gotham? I've been at Gotham, I'm knocking on the door of 13 years now. Wow. I was going to say like 10 or 11, but wow. Yeah, no, amazing. no. This December 2nd will mark my 13th year okay so you've been with haymakers since since i, I mean, think this is the first since, since the yeah. first uh at the the haymakers Lands. yeah yeah right because so, that was yeah. yeah that was 2012 the guy with the viking helmet <laughs> oh my gosh i don't know that i remember that you don't remember <laughs> so you guys gave me this heavyweight guy and he would oh, come yes. on his motorcycle with a viking helmet and i was like who is this guy <laughs> <laughs> We paired him up appropriately with a coach. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He, he was an ex-soldier. That's right. Do you have any idea, because I don't, but do you have any idea how many people you have trained for Haymakers events in 11, 11 years? I have no idea. I have to say that every year we probably get like seven to eight, but I know there was two years that we got 10 fighters and those two years we went undefeated. So anywhere from seven to, to 10. Yeah. And I think we have seven again this year. Yeah. Yeah. You guys always, always, um, you train a lot of people and they, you know, they're all always all ready to get in the ring and they fundraise a ton of money and just like transformation wise, you've had your own transformation. And I think like what you learned from that, you are able to educate your boxers to have a similar transformation from when they first step in the gym to when they to step into the ring on fight night. Is there anybody that you can think of that you think you've seen like the biggest transformation from in the 11 years you've been training boxers for, for the Haymakers event? Is there somebody that really stands out that you think really kind of either just surprised you or just went through another, maybe a physical transformation? That's a tough question because be a little, be a small. It doesn't matter who, who it is. I, I think there's such a transformation that goes on. And even though it's such a short amount of time, you know, three months, four months, five months, sometimes six months, I think the transformation that everyone goes through is such a profound transformation and also so personal. That's kind of a tough question to answer. Because I'm not inside of that person, you know? Let's let's unpack that a little bit. The personal transformations. Because I've noticed that too, that I I see fighters grow and change both inside and outside of the ring. What have you noticed has been some of those personal transformations? I don't want it to sound like so superficial, Hmm. but there is a certain air of confidence that a Haymaker for Hope fighter gains once the tournament and the training and everything is over, be it win or lose, like they have like unpacked a fear or like have unlocked a certain level of confidence and they just walk into the gym, walk into any room. Like I've conquered something, God damn it. And, and, and I'm not the same person that I was before that final bell rang, you know? I think that the level of confidence and the level of accomplishment that that person exudes is one of the major changes. 
one thing that I have noticed, a lot of the participants who have from what I, what I've seen over the years is a lot of them stay in the gym and continue training with you. Todd can testify that some people do haymakers and their bouts over and they're gone. They are never to be seen again. But with you, your attention rate is probably astronomical. So I think it says a lot. It's about crazy. You. I know. I know. Yeah. Today I had two clients from 2013 and I was just like, dude, we're old. <laughs> like we were just <laughs> laughing. We were just laughing, you know, because like we both have kids the same age in college, in the same grade. And I'm like, dude, we just need to go get, grab a cup of coffee and talk about our kids. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's really amazing. I mean, it's also such a huge testament. So the interesting thing of Mike, obviously he's a coach. He is in a class of his own because he's also running a marathon for haymakers and fundraising for us. So this is, we're in uncharted territory with coaches in that aspect. So you're coming up. New York city is when it's, the it's after I believe I, be, I believe it's November. yes yeah right so it's that week. I, I believe it's like two days after haymakers yeah right yeah because haymakers so, is on a Thursday so and the marathon will be Sunday that Sunday so how is something like going? that yeah training is going easy I love it I look forward to training it's for me running and training all of that stuff is real personal for a lot of people like everybody has their own why and everything and stuff but for me running and training is private time. It's a time for me to like unwind and think and, and stuff, you know, like sometimes I'll run and while I'm running, like I'll be recording my videos, like, because I'm like, I'm formulating sentences in my brain while I'm running, you know, or like thinking like, oh, that's too many T's or THs or like, yeah, like r- running's a very like stress relieving thing for me. Yeah. When you say your videos and like formulating sentences, I think it's also probably important to mention that Mike has his MFA in creative writing from NYU, which is, is pretty yes. recent. So are those sentences like things you want to remember to write down or is it just like, is it kind of yeah, like yeah. So, so, while, you're, while you're pounding the pavement? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's things that I've written my first manuscript, which is going to be my memoir, which I'm, I'm hoping to publish within the next year or two, you know, so I'm constantly editing it and re-editing it in my mind and stuff. Or or like sometimes like a certain song will bring or a certain smell will bring back a certain memory. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to add this to it. I got to add that to it, you know? But how am I going to do it? And then like my brain will just start formulating, you know? Like, yeah. I got a great title for your memoir would be Too Fat for Karate. (laughs) That that also would be be a very funny rock and roll song, yeah. I also think (laughs) it's a great t-shirt. That you, you know, great. like my, my, my right. castle, right. castle training, Gotham, Gotham boxing, too fat oh, for karate. That that's what I think everybody so should be wearing. Cool. That should be on your, um, your tank. That, that, that memory lives too rent free in my house. And they, I mean, in my brain and they haunt, <laughs> it haunts me. And I wish I could find those guys. And like, I'll show you guys. <laughs> like, right. If I ever wrote an autobiography and it was too fucked up to fail. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So I like that too, but I can't write. So. <laughs> yeah, you can write. You can write. Stop it. Also, looking on your fundraising page for the marathon, you completely eclipsed your fundraising minimum. And what I thought was extra cool was when I was looking through like the donors, I saw, I think, five or six boxers from Haymakers that you trained. They're great. They're great. You know, so like uh, this will be my fourth time running the New York City Marathon. My first time running it with Haymakers, like I usually 
run for like team for kids or Achilles and stuff like that. And every year those guys have always, uh, donated to my fundraiser page. And I'm so appreciative of them. You know that, like how you said, once you become part of that Haymaker family, you become friends in real life. I've had Haymaker fighters that have come to like my kids' birthday parties and stuff who always send Christmas gifts. Like, and, and I go to their parties and I go to their businesses and stuff like that. The connections that we've made have been incredible and life-lasting, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what I would do backstage if you weren't there at a Haymaker event. I think something was wrong at New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, to sign up to be one of our ass-kicking do-gooders, visit haymakersforhope.org. Round two. Like, with all this work with Haymakers, what is your connection to the cause? That's another good question because I've never been affected by cancer. So maybe I'm with the organization for selfish reasons, right? And selfish reason being like that it makes me feel good to be part of a cause and to help, you know, a lot of the people who fight are cancer's survivors, you know, and like me making them feel good and making them stay healthy makes me feel good. I'm like, wow, I'm doing my part as little as it is, you know, well, it makes but, me feel good about myself. Like, hey, I'm helping someone. It doesn't sound like what you do is little. So like, especially you know, I know tons of fighters, either fighters that I've trained or other fighters that have fought and that it, it means everything to them to be involved and to be participating and to be fighting, literally fighting for a cure. And you play such a huge role in their lives and especially in their training. I don't see it as a small thing. I see it as something that's just it is a huge contribution. So of all the fighters that you have trained, What's been the hardest part of training someone for haymakers? I think sometimes the hardest part, you'll get a, a contestant, a participant that doesn't take the training seriously. Getting that one participant, that one fighter to believe like, hey, man, we're in a real fight. I'll have to show them some clips or the some of the famous after pictures, you know, and it's like, I mean, like, yes, it's for charity, but it's also a real knockdown, drag them out fight. Like a lot of times a person will hear the word charity and they think it's like, hey, dude, like, you know, if you hit me soft, I'll hit you soft. But what people don't understand is like, once you get underneath those hot lights, once you hear that bell rings, it's like something primal takes over and it's it's a real knockdown, drag them out fight, you know? So I think the hardest part of the training sometimes is convincing that person like, hey, man, someone's coming for your ass, you know? Like, you gotta, you gotta take the training serious, you know? What's the best part for you? What's the most fun for you with training Haymakers fighters? The funnest part is when, you know, because like a lot of times things don't go according to plan. Right. That's life, right? But the funnest part is when you do the training and everything comes together and you're like, man, that's how it's supposed to be, you know? And when the fight turns out the way it was supposed to turn out and like, the, you know, that's the best part. That's the best part. When you help a person accomplish that goal that they set out to accomplish be it the w be it to lose five or ten pounds to be able to run you know a mile in under seven minutes being able to bench press more than their body weight you know when something comes to fruition like that it's the best feeling in the world you're like man i really helped somebody push through and accomplish a goal today 
not to put you on the spot, but do you have a, like a specific time or a specific fighter where a goal was just blown out of the water? I can't pinpoint it exactly, but it was the year that we fought at Madison Square Garden. And that year, the reason why I get confused is because in a row, we went undefeated for all the fighters. But the year that we were at Madison Square Garden, we were like, everybody's going to pull a W tonight. You know, everybody's going to. But one of my fighters was losing the fight. I mean, he was getting beaten post, man. And then within like the last 15 seconds, man, he just nailed this guy with like the perfect left, man. And the guy felt like a sack of potatoes, man. And I was just like, I was like, oh, like, 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 yes. Like, I knew you were going to do that. Was that Ray? Ray, Ray second. Ray, 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 oh. yeah, Ray Fulmer. Oh, man. But if you remember that night, it was Ferrara, too. Sydney Ferrara. Sydney, yes, yes. Sydney killed this guy on spar- in sparring in media day. And then at the garden, he was beating Sydney up. And I was like, dude, what's going on? What's going on? And then he just clobbered him with that left, that straight left. And, 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 and that, his guy fell out. I was like, yes, <laughs> it's the best thing ever. That has to be such a great feeling, like people, because some people come to you and they've literally never thrown a punch before, right? Oh, 100. But I've had people in the middle of training breaking down in tears. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, like, dude, like, you got to do this, man. Remember what you're fighting for. It seems like fun and games and stuff, but, like, you know, when that first time when you get hit for real, you're like, oh, snap. And most people, like, you know, like, oh, yeah, I grew up playing college football, basketball, lacrosse, or whatever, but, like, you don't play boxing. There are no timeouts in boxing. Yeah, we have a lot of people sign up sometimes after coming, like the lights and the glitz and, you know, the environment and it's electric and they sign up and that's what they see on the surface. I don't think they realize just how much work and actual blood, actual sweat, actual tears really goes into training and how well you get to know yourself and what your fears are and how you can like overcome that. Cause it's a lot. And anybody that's trained with you is lucky because if I feel like you kind of have that ability to push them gently, but with a little firmness to remind them what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's funny because like I grew up from a school where I cannot train a haymakers for hope fighter. The way I was trained I grew up around a lot of professional trainers that train professional fighters. And my first trainer was like a sergeant in the New York City Department of Corrections. <laughs> he never, ever said anything nice to me. You know, like he'd like smack me like in the face, like get in there, Mike. You know, so I grew up around some pretty tough customers, you know, and I can't train the haymaker fighters like that. I've kind of developed a system where like I have to be more of a therapist and parent and like put on the kick gloves and I have to become everything that I'm not. It's weird. I can't, but like you kind of have to dive into that person's psyche to get them to perform at the level that they perform at. Not every fight ends at the bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. Did you know there's more to Haymakers than just boxing? We also have opportunities for you to lace up your sneakers and run a marathon with Team Haymakers. Or grab your clubs and play in one of our golf tournaments. Visit haymakersforhope.org for more. Round three. Mike, I've got a a two-part question for you. 
right now, there obviously there are people listening. So what would you tell someone who's listening that's thinking about signing up? They're, they're hemming and hawing. They're thinking about joining up and, and fighting for haymakers. What would you tell them? What one piece of advice would you give for them? And if there's a coach listening whose gym hasn't been involved and that coach is thinking, I wonder if I should have a hay, you know, do haymakers as well. What advice would you give to them? I'd tell them to do it. Sign up. It's definitely been one of the uh, greatest experiences that I've had in my life. I've learned so much. This is kind of like how when I became uh, a teacher at school, you know, and I started working with undergrad students and stuff, I would tell my kids, like, guys, you are teaching me more than I am teaching you. I feel like that about my haymaker fighters. I feel like it, it's made me a better uh, person, a better coach. And even though I don't fight anymore, a better fighter. Because sometimes, like, I'm teaching something, a certain technique or a certain exercise or something. And then, like, oh, wait, that's how you do it or whatever. And only through teaching it can I do, do I learn it myself, right? And it makes me a better executioner at that certain time, at that, that certain move. You'll learn so much about yourself, right? You'll make such uh, beautiful friendships. I'm still hanging out with fighters that I've trained in 2013, you know, 2012. Like, I've made lifelong friends. It'll make you a better overall person, better coach, better fighter, you know, better friend, better listener. What has Haymakers given to you? So you've given so much to Haymakers. What have you gotten from the experience? What has Haymakers given to you? That's another great question. What has Haymakers? I mean, like, I, I feel like I've gotten so much from Haymakers, you know, like experiences. I've, I've grown as a person, you know, like I've made these great friendships. One of my advisors at school, like I, I've, I've t told him about this uh, organization and he's like, dude, you need to write an article about them. Like you need to write like, and I'm, I'm just like, my experiences and my time at Haymakers has been so rich. You know, I'm like, where would I begin? I don't know. But like, Definitely the personal growth and, and, and the friendships that I've made from Haymakers. I can't put a price on that, you know? This will be your fourth marathon and that you had... That is correct. For, yes, And that you had, you know, supported Achilles or, and, you know, um, like a... Team for kids. Team for kids. What was it about this marathon that you signed on that you wanted to fundraise for Haymakers? Oh, well, this is an easy one. Brian just told me, like, dude, how dare you not run for Haymakers? Let's go. I was like, okay, you don't have to ask me anymore. I'm yours. And, so, and yeah. So background, Brian like says, Brian, Brian Shoy is our coach who leads our marathon program. He, he coaches people. He himself is a very accomplished exceptional yeah. distance runner. Love, um, I love Shoy, yeah. Brian just told you to do it, and you said, sure, cool, all right. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for, for coming on here. Um, you know, we Thank you for having you. me. This was so fun. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We're grateful for your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the podcast and tell a friend. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, sign up to fight to KO cancer, visit haymakersforhope.org. Not every fight ends at the bell is presented and produced by Haymakers for Hope in partnership with Studio Pod Media. Our producers are former fighters Jordan McMillan and Julian Lewis. I'm Julie Kelly. And I'm Todd Buster Paris. You've been listening to Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell. 